0: The following podcast contains explicit materials. It's Thursday, June 7th, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Bill Clinton did not get it right when it came to phrasing an apology to Monica Lewinsky. He, in fact, got red and defensive and accusatory on the Today Show the other day. And when you're up that early, you really want to be just at most one of those things. So yesterday he had a chance to walk it back, and he did. He went on The Colbert Show, and he also did a New York Times Times talk, and he said this. So I will say again, you know, I apologize to the people who were most hurt, my family, Hillary and Chelsea, to Monica Lewinsky and her family, to my staff and cabinet, to the people of the United States. Clinton went on to talk about the young man who asked the question on the Today Show. Perhaps he didn't know that Craig Melvin is 39 years old. But these days, since 37-year-old Jared Kushner is always being dismissed for his callowness, I guess a 39-year-old journalist could be assumed to be too young to possibly know that in 1998, the president said this in a speech, a speech that was called Remarkable in the annals of presidential history. He said, I don't think there is a fancy way to say that I have sinned. It's important to me that most everyone who has been hurt know that the sorrow I feel is genuine. First and most important, my family, my friends, my staff, my cabinet, Monica Lewinsky and her family and the American people. I was thinking in the last couple of days of two historic figures. And one was Bill Clinton and the other was Michael Jordan. Jordan is probably the greatest basketball player of all time. LeBron is second. It's pretty close, but most would still say Jordan. But you know, as a complete sports figure, he is lacking. He had zero social consciousness. He said Republicans buy sneakers too and never took a stand on anything. He was really harsh on his teammates. I mean, LeBron's demanding too, but he doesn't use yelling and bullying of teammates as a tactic. Jordan had a contemptuous relationship with the media, and his Hall of Fame induction speech showed that he went around with a chip on his shoulders and scores to settle. And all that is because everything I've described was the playbook that worked for Jordan. How much did it work for Jordan? He was the greatest of all time, just like defiance and lecturing the questioner and digging his heels in worked for Clinton. It worked so well that he got more popular after the Lewinsky scandal than before. So sure, Clinton wasn't to the presidency what Jordan was to basketball, but basketball's not really as important to life on this planet as the presidency is. So just as Jordan probably thought of his excesses, maybe not even his excesses, probably thought of them as necessary, when viewed through today's sensitivities, they seem problematic. That's probably the same way Bill Clinton thinks about things. You know, he was the president who oversaw the greatest economic expansion after World War II. Jobs were so high, so was Median income growth. People were getting so much richer. It was incredible. He was handed a good set of circumstances. That's true. But other presidents have been and they've screwed it up. At least he didn't do that. 76 servicemen and women died under Bill Clinton's watch and hostile action or or due to terrorist attack. That's during the entirety of the eight years of the Clinton presidency. 76 would be a good month for much of the Bush presidency. And even some of his greatest accomplishments, like the crime bill, are seen now as a failure. It's seen as the cause of over-policing in America, as opposed to the more accurate interpretation that it was the reaction to record high crime rates. And those crime rates came down a lot because of the crime bill. Oh, yeah, yeah. He saved, I don't know, 100,000, 400,000 lives in Bosnia. So yes, he was quite shitty to the adult who showed him her underpants and then gave him a blowjob. Yes, he was ungentlemanly then, and he's still kind of a defensive shit about it now. Also, he may have raped de Broderick. Maybe, there's no way to know. Please don't tell me you believe Juanita just as a matter of policy, because I could show you Juanita Broderick's timeline. And if you believe Juanita and she believes every conspiracy theory that Trump has put forward, I don't know what that says. But it's certainly true that he perhaps sexually assaulted her. And also, I want to make clear that just just because Juanita Broderick is totally wrong about policies today doesn't mean she doesn't know what happened to her in a hotel room uh, 30 years ago. Like I said, we don't know what happened there. But in the scope of understanding Bill Clinton, I would put the consensual affair with the adult woman over whom he had a power imbalance because he had a power imbalance with everyone on the planet, I would put that far down the list than, say, saving a few hundred thousand people in Bosnia. Now, to be fair, it is not the case that the public as a whole have soured on Bill Clinton. When he came out to do the Colbert show, he got a standing ovation, but then he was rightly called to the carpet in an adept way by Colbert. And I also don't want to set up as a straw man and say that Clinton's tone deafness will define him, will ruin his legacy. I just want to note that in Bill Clinton, we have a 71-year-old man who was in fact punished quite severely over a sexual misdeed in office it would have been better if he had handled the question from the not-actually-young-journalist Craig Melvin in a better way, but he didn't. And I do think that part of the hurt of how Bill Clinton answers this question is just what we saw. The surface level doesn't need too much interpretation, crappiness of his obstinance. But I also think that some of it is this, that there was a time when he was the best person in the world at reading a room, reading an audience, reading the populace, and a lot of the people now who are most wounded by his defensiveness were part of that populace. And his poor performance on this question stings a little bit more directly to them. Anyone can be tone deaf, but when it's someone you think of as a former maestro, the failing's a bit more stark. On the show today, a couple names in the news. But first, this season of the 30 for 30 podcast is all about Bikram. He was the creator and Svengali, really, behind a brand of yoga that was based on heat and suffering in more ways than one. You will find out about this. We will play some clips for the show. And we will also listen to and speak with Julia Lowry-Henderson, who is the reporter behind Bikram. Vikram Chowdhury was the name of the, well, you know this, the name of the yoga teacher and guru and inventor of a practice, or at least appropriator, who came over to the United States in the 1970s. His name became synonymous with yoga, and that is not by accident, that is by design. Reporter Julia Low Henderson charts out his rise and his horrid fall in a five-part series for the ESPN 30 for 30 podcast. It is called Bickram, as Bikram would have wanted it. Julia's here. Hello. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Before we get into the report, tell me about your, and I know that this is how you guys say it, tell me about your practice. You did yoga, yeah?
1: I did do yoga. <laughs> I did this yoga for a really long time. For about seven years, mm-hmm. I was like a daily practitioner. And because of that, I ended up working for my the woman that owned the studio I practiced at. I became her manager. And Where so, was that? Uh, Lower East Side in New York City.
0: Okay. And what year, what year did you start doing it?
1: I started when she opened in 2004. Before, yeah. uh, I started managing for her uh, sometime in 2006, 2007, before she had her daughter. And I was running that studio until I moved to California in 2010.
0: How big was Bikram back then?
1: I mean, it was huge. Yeah. It was 105 degrees. It was intense. Celebrities did it. He was known as the yoga master to the stars.
0: Every morning I did class with Rocco Welch, Quincy Jones, Martin Sheen, Candace Bergen. I was telling Merv about Karim Abdul Jabbar coming to class and he is Wait, everybody week? think he's the best
1: athlete in the world. He is. In my class, he's, he's the, the worst. worst student I ever had in my life.
0: Was there any whiff in the air, besides the people doing yoga, any whiff that there was something foul or amiss or strange about uh the namesake Bikram himself?
1: A big part of reporting this was like looking back and like asking myself like what did I miss? Mm-hmm. Which I think everyone in the community asks, like, what did I miss? What did I not see? You know, his image and his persona and his reputation almost from the get-go was a little bit off, right? Mm-hmm. That was kind of his brand, was like, I'm not your typical like, coddling, gentle yoga guru. I'm going to call it like it is. I'm going to be tough on you. I'm going to say crazy things. I'm going to say uncouth things. I'm going to push lines. And that that became his allure. And that, I think, kind of blinded a lot of people or masked a lot of behavior. And then the people that were devoted to this thing that thought it was helping them that were getting something from the practice became really defensive of his ability to be that. And so, you know, with this fleet of luxury cars and this sort of very strange character who came off as, like, greedy and opportunistic, but I think that he was so good at being the guru that no one inside was upset about those characteristics in fact like they kind of rallied around his right to be that yeah
0: so when did when did it come down when did he get charged with crimes or get sued or what did it come to the public's attention what he was doing and tell us what he was doing
1: so you know by and large he developed a pattern a very clear pattern of targeting young women mostly at his teacher trainings who were coming to him to learn to teach his style of yoga and he has a way of kind of reading a room he's very good at reading people and he would you know be able to tell who was the most vulnerable there and who would feel powerless against him if he crossed a line and you know like any abuser he had grooming techniques, always had a, a long history and practice of needing to have his hair brushed and to be massaged, particularly in front of the entire group of trainees while he was either lecturing at night or they were watching a Bollywood movie right. together at night. And so he would... One girl on each foot. Yes. Yeah. That seemed to be the way he would test and feel out the situation. And that's where he would start crossing lines and abusing. And then eventually, you know, they are just a number of stories of young women that were then called up to his hotel suite to give him a massage and were, you know, assaulted and raped in his hotel suite. People are convinced that you're lying if you go back to your attacker. But there's a lot of reasons why someone would do that in a marriage or um, a father-daughter relationship. And that's kind of what this felt like to me was he was like, almost like a family member. So I didn't want to destroy the family. This all broke in 2013. In early 2013, the first woman came forward with accusations dating back to 2005 that he had sexually harassed her uh, starting at her teacher training uh, in San Diego. And that had continued. And, And quickly on the heels of that, Other women started coming forward with these stories. All told, six women came forward, and they all filed civil suits. The LAPD and the L.A. District Attorney never pressed any charges against him. In my mind, I think it's just a matter of, A, he's a pretty powerful person, Mm -hmm. and B, you know— Unfortunately, our legal system and our law enforcement is not very good at dealing with sexual assault and rape.
0: Yeah, there was no appetite, too, for a prosecutor open himself or herself to bring a charge that wouldn't stick and statute of limitations and mixed memory. It's a different time than Harvey Weinstein. But what you did was, like a prosecutor or like a good storyteller, you laid out the house of it. You laid out the structure of it. And so we come away not with the belief, oh, here was a guy who had an opening and sexual. Assault some people more like here's a guy who created this entire structure in order to do this.
1: I mean the numbers are much bigger. I think that they will grow. I mean one thing that happened to us was, you know, we start. I started reporting this the year before Me Too happened, Mm -hmm. and so I had this moment when Me Too happened of thinking like, oh, this is gonna maybe this will crack wide open. Maybe people will be more willing to discuss this because there's still a ton of shame and protection and privacy happening in this community. And and I was surprised that it, it didn't, although I feel like it is now just starting to loosen, like it's, it's catching up there. But even without that, I mean, he abused and assaulted a lot of people.
0: Where does he live now?
1: He is a bit on the run uh-huh. um, there's a bench warrant for his arrest in the state of California because his former attorney sued him for sexual harassment, wrongful termination. She was awarded seven million dollars by a jury. He did nothing to pay that seven million dollars. A judge stepped in and started to try to divvy up uh, his perceived assets to try to you know rectify that debt and you know the cars went missing and you know, the business was worth basically nothing, and he continued to not cooperate and hand things over. So eventually, in May of 2017, this judge issued a warrant for his arrest. So he's out of the country at the moment. Uh, he is currently at this very moment in Mexico in Acapulco leading a teacher training.
0: The authorities know that. Mm-hmm. He advertises that.
1: He advertises that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's actually very easy to track. His daughter does nothing but document their life on social media, so at any given moment, you just have to check her Instagram stories, and you can figure out exactly what he's up to.
0: When you talked to him, where was that?
1: Mexico. I went to Acapulco in the fall.
0: Did you make an appointment beforehand or just show up? Uh,
1: (laughs) It was a little bit of both. I had, you know, I tried for a really long time uh, and gotten different degrees of pushback or (laughs) non-response. And so I, you know, I wrote him again. I booked the ticket to Acapulco. And I wrote him and his assistant and just said, you know, look, I just got back from Calcutta. I learned an awful lot about your past and I'm going to be in Acapulco. I would really like the opportunity to talk to you. And it was at that point that I got the note saying, OK, Bickram, we'll meet with you.
0: Right. Were you fearful when you went to his suite alone?
1: Yeah. yeah. I had a security detail, um, but he was not allowed to go past the hotel lobby. So I was I was very nervous going up to be alone with him. I just know what a manipulative kind of person and, like, what a kind of dark energy he is. Uh, And I knew that I was walking in with, like, absolutely no protection or no one on my side. You know, I walked in maybe naively, but I think, you know, that— naive want to be able to understand everyone I meet is the thing that drives me as a storyteller and a journalist. I really did walk in hoping that there would still be some glimmer of a person in there, like, you know, and no. I mean, he was just pure, pure ego on this, like, loop. All the stories you've heard before, like, just this, like, complete, like, self-aggrandizing, like, loop. And it just it just gets darker and weirder the longer the night goes on. And it just was like, he's just, he felt so far gone to me.
0: I saw the, maybe you did too, the uh, Netflix documentary, Wild Wild Country. And that was kind of similar, in fact, about uh, an Indian uh, protagonist who was a cult leader. But there are still true believers of that cult. Are there still Bikram true believers out there?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: So what do they say? Did they say that this stuff never happened? And He's in Mexico because the weather is nice. I mean,
1: there are – at his teacher training right now, they're in week eight, which is recertification week. Uh, And there are 40-plus teachers who just paid to go to Acapulco to spend a week re-upping their certification with them. And are they
0: flying back to America in studios with the name Bikram on them? Yes. That's like going to a movie with Weinstein on the title screen or going to see Bill Cosby in concert, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Is he making money from those studios still? No. But, so, he, but you also detail about how the money-making – he had a weird uh, relationship with franchise, franchisees.
1: He's a pretty terrible businessman, as it turns out, Uh, ironically. I mean, he hit it huge on teacher training. I mean, he made millions and millions and millions of dollars a year on teacher training alone. Um, But he never successfully figured out how to franchise. You know, he grew really fast in the 90s as yoga became super popular And he needed to get it out there and spread it. And he had the foresight to understand that if he controlled the yoga part of it, like the sequence, the dialogue, there were all these – safeguards he could put in place in order to control the product, and that would give him an incredible amount of power over it. It would make it his. The dialogue. The dialogue. The dialogue.
0: Interlace all ten fingers underneath your chin. Interlace your
1: fingers. Put your knuckles underneath the chin.
0: Pull up on your thighs.
1: Squeeze your butt.
0: And please begin
1: to inhale long and deep by your nose. It's called the dialogue, but it's really Bikram's monologue. It's based off a literal transcription of Bikram teaching a class— down to the broken English and out-of-date phrases.
0: This is a little bit like a cult, obviously, but the design of the cult seemed to be not for Bikram to amass power, per se, or not for crazy messianic uh, design. He just wanted, I guess, wealth and sex from this.
1: Yeah, he seems to be... I mean, it's not my place to diagnose someone, and obviously... You can't diagnose a person without, like, sitting down with Mm -hmm. them. But he ticks off a lot of the qualities of someone with narcissistic personality disorder. And, I mean, like an alarming number of them. I think, you know, there's a list of like nine or ten attributes and you have to have five in order to be, you know, clinically diagnosed. And he has more than five. You know, I don't even know that he fully ever understood what he wanted other than just – power and, and wealth and attention. And it did manifest mostly, I mean, he seems to have most enjoyed his power in, in assaulting people through sex and in like amassing tremendous amounts of wealth uh, and then, you know, hiding at places and holding on to it forever. It's very easy to sort of not engage with it and not even necessarily feel empathy for the victims because it all looks very, like, strange and culty and it seems like it's everyone's fault. And, you know, we kind of came at this thinking like, you know, no, this is so emblematic of what happens across all groups in our society. This is a huge moment for this, to try to understand the way people amass their power and then abuse their power to assault people uh, and help people understand how this whole system was devised for this to happen without anyone raising red flags or shutting it down or doing the right thing when it came to light. Like, that to us felt like the untapped.
0: You quote an expert who looked at the people who brought yoga over in the Mm -hmm. 70s, essentially, and she told you that there was sexual abuse in every one of the cases that she studied?
1: Basically, yeah. She wrote this great book, That really chronicles, I mean, starting with, like, Emerson's sort of obsession with Eastern religion is the first time that Ralph Waldo Emerson, yeah, yeah. yeah. —is the first time that, you know, yoga really shows up at all in America.
0: Transcendentalism, Mm -hmm. transcendental meditation, okay, I'm getting it.
1: And so she kind of chronicles from there up until about 2010, 2011 when she put the book out. And, yeah, there's not really, in her finding, any major— guru who ended up in this country who did not at some point cross a line and abuse his students or followers in some way, shape or form. Sexually abused them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ashtanga, another huge school. You know, now there's all of a sudden belatedly this, you know, look at Patapi Joyce and what he did and lines that he crossed. I mean, Jill Lawler, who, you know, was assaulted by Bikram you know, as part of her healing process, went and started doing kundalini yoga and then started doing research and found that Yogi Bhajan had been accused of similar things. You know, it's Bikram exploited something about his position as a guru with a discipline that involved physicality and vulnerable students who were there to better themselves in the way that a lot of people did. And so it's a really, it's a really rampant issue that the yoga community is really kind of grappling with how to, how to turn it around.
0: Julia Lowry-Henderson is the reporter behind the 30 for 30 series called Bikram. If you haven't listened to it, please do. Thank you. Thank you. And now names in the news, names in the news, names in the news, Maceo Smedley, the third, that is a name in the news. I came across the name Maceo Smedley, the third. He is a child actor who plays Lil Cloak in the new series, Cloak and Dagger. I used to read the Cloak and Dagger comic books as a kid. I had a similar take on the superheroes, Cloak and Dagger, as I did on the rappers, Salt and Peppa. In this crazy mixed-up world that a guy named Cloak and a girl named Dagger could find each other. I mean, Salt and Peppa could easily have been Eric B. and Peppa, Salt and Rakim, Salt and the Get Fresh crew, even though Salt is a preservative. And one day someone would have advised the Get Fresh crew, nah, nah, you gotta get with Dougie Fresh. Get Fresh, crew. Maybe that's how it all happened. But back to Maceo Smedley III. He's 11 years old. I read a profile of this Maceo Smedley III. He's a very, very cute kid. He likes sports and pizza and hot dogs and acting. I find it fascinating that two generations ago, there was a Maceo Smedley. We know nothing about this man, really. I did a little research. Uh, His progeny dominates internet coverage. But the one thing we know about Maceo Smedley is he at some point said, you know what there needs? There needs to be more... Maceo Smedley. And then there was a Maceo Smedley II, possibly a Maceo Smedley Jr., who had the same exact thought. Maceo Smedley III. Now that brings me to Travis Vanderzanden. He is the man described in this headline, electric scooters are calling havoc. This man is shrugging it off. What man? Travis Vanderzanden, This former Uber and Lyft exec, just raised $15 million for his controversial e-scooter startup. Bird, that's a headline. I try not to say controversial or even controversial. It's not a pronunciation thing. I just think the word says nothing. Anyway, this Travis Vanderzanden guy, he's a former Uber executive. And it's Travis van der Zanden, one word, but the Z in Zanden gets capitalized even though there's no new word. Van der Zanden. I found a couple other VanderZandens online. They all seem to be from, uh, let us say, the Netherlands or a place where they have a space between the Vander and the Zanden. But the criticism of... This Travis, who used to work for Uber, not that Travis, but this Travis, our van der Zanden Travis, the criticism is that he dumped an unusual form of transportation on an unsuspecting locality, which did not have the laws to regulate it. And Travis Vanderzanden didn't care much about the fallout. That doesn't sound like an Uber executive I've ever heard of. Here's the New York Times talking about van der Zanden. Advocates for the disabled said that these scooters, these e-scooters that are all over Southern California, advocates for the disabled said they would have trouble moving through the streets if the scooters were zooming around or left on sidewalks. Advocates for older people said rampaging scooters would encourage them to seek the safety of their homes, becoming shut-ins. Mr. Van Der Zanden said Greater Los Angeles, including Santa Monica, has been especially excited about Bird, his, his scooter company, and that the area has become a transportation tech hub. Quote, the city's been very receptive, he said. Actually, it has not. That, that line, that was right there in the paper. They practically wrote it in Ron Howard's Arrested Development narrator voice. And speaking of Arrested Development, in Santa Monica, the city attorney's office filed a nine-count misdemeanor criminal complaint against Bird and Mr. Van Der Zanden. So I ask you, will he give up all this work? In other words, would Van Der Zanden abandon his master planning? I mean, you treat him like he's some kind of criminal, but Van Der Zanden's no Bandit standin', he's van der Zanden, bike share supplanter. He won't get flustered, he's a rancor handler. And should say a scooter meander into a bystander, Vanderzanden Zanden won't spit forth an unhinged insult, no slander tantrum from van der Zanden. He didn't most issue a memorandum about his new business idea, which is about smoothing the rough edges of a bamboo-eating clientele. It's Vander Zanden's Panda Sander! Yeah, I know, kind of random. And that's it for today's show. The Gist was produced by Pierre Bienamander. Mary Wilson, just senior producer, thought the better analogy was not Bill Clinton and Michael Jordan, but Bill Clinton and Corliss Williamson. She begged me, Mike, compare him to Corliss Williamson. But I thought we'd lose the layman. Steve Liktai is executive producer of The Gist. is a man in his mid-40s, he's just barely out of puberty. He can't be held accountable to remember things that happened 18 years ago. The Gist. I did have an extensive Charlotte Hornets compared to Clinton Foundation Parallel, but that is for another much more highly specific show. Oom peru dat peru, and thanks for listening.